So God, we praise you today that you are not an accessory to our life. You are not an add-on. God, it's in you that we live and we move and we have our being. You are our great hope. Lord, we recognize that in the world around us and even sometimes in the proclivities in our own heart that some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, some trust in finances, some trust in the weapons of imperialism and war and domination, Lord, but we throw all of those things aside and we proclaim here and now in this moment that we trust in the name of the Lord our God for our salvation. So, Lord, we believe that uh, cognitively, so help us move that to our hearts, that it affects every ounce of our being, that as we go about our days, Lord, that you being our living hope, that the fact that you died, were buried, and rose again, that we might know life will be the animating center of our lives. We don't deserve it, Lord, but you give it freely. So we receive it just as freely. Be with us now as we open your word. Holy Spirit, illuminate it, transform us. That we might obey. Let's call these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. <coughs> well, if... Excuse me. Uh, there's a lot of things that I have always wanted to do as a lead pastor. Um, I think there's a lot of pastors, myself included, that get a little uh, scaredy cat about um, revisiting same passages or, or same things like that within too close a time frame. Um, but I think there's a bold assumption in my life when that happens uh, because I go, well, what if like what if people get bored with that? And then I go, okay, but what else are we going to turn to? Like the only thing we're preaching out of is scripture. So at some point we're going to have to revisit stuff. And it's always been high on my priority list that uh, there's a few things that I want to touch on every year. And so uh, for some of us in this room, this might be uh, a bit of a a refresher course. For some of us, this might be new. Um, uh, But Lord willing, we're going to year after year, beginning of every year, we'll continue to attack this and put this in front of us because this is really, really important to me. Uh, And it's really, really important, uh, I believe, to God um, that we that we get this right, what we're going to talk about for the next couple weeks. So uh, a couple disclaimers. Um, I've said this often. Uh, My pastor, so it might sound weird for a pastor to have a pastor, but I need to sit under some mentorship. So my pastor, uh, Rob Bergman, um, who I pastored with in Columbia City, uh, came from a church in St. Louis. And so a lot of these ideas uh, really were cultivated there. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm some genius guy um, because those of you who know me know that that is just the furthest thing from the truth. But uh, these were cultivated there, and it's something that I've seen him live, and he's kind of imported to me. Um, And and so today we're going to talk about unity. We're going to talk about unity as God's people. And my one encouragement to us as we dive into this, um, because we're going to try and move through. We did this four weeks last year. We're going to try and make it happen in two. Uh, I hope this is... This is always my prayer for us, um, but specifically these next couple weeks, is I want us to listen with a, a mirror, not a magnifying glass. 
okay? A mirror, not a magnifying glass. Here's what I mean by that. Um, There's a lot of things that people in this room need to grow in, okay? I am undone, and you guys could put a magnifying glass on me or turn to your neighbors on your left and on your right. You could put a magnifying glass on them, and go, yes, they are undone. And some of you that maybe are sitting next to spouses are like, they're very undone. Um, I don't want us to hear this and go, oh, this person really needs to grow in this area. Okay? That'd be easy for us to go, this person, oh, man, I, I need to send this to this person that's here. Do that. I think this is really helpful stuff, but I don't want that to be the heart posture we have going into it. Instead, I want us to look with a mirror. Instead of a magnifying glass going, what are the little areas in, in other people's lives that like, oh, they need to hear that? Well, what instead are we looking at the mirror and going, I really need to grow in this area. This is an area that I am undone in. And so like I said, I hope that's always our heart and that's always my prayer for us, but specifically over these next couple weeks. So we're going to start in John 17. And John 17 is uh, known as the high priestly prayer. What we have is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's getting ready. If you're looking at the timeline of Jesus' arrest uh, and crucifixion, this is pre-arrest, and Jesus is praying for a series of things. We see him uh, pray for himself. We see him pray for his disciples. And then we come to verse 20. We're going to start in verse 20, and here's what he prays. Again, this is like he knows his arrest and persecution and death are just right around the corner. Here's what he says. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray for also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me even as you told me, uh, even as, that you love them even as you have loved me. So in the last moments before the, 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 one of the pinnacles of our faith happens, Jesus is found communicating with his Father. And what is he praying for? He's praying for us, which is mind-boggling. He's praying for those that will believe through the message of the disciples, which if you follow the lineage of people, we're all here because of the message of the disciples. So he's praying for us. And what does he pray for? He prays, make them one. Make them one. And why does he pray this? He says, so that the world may believe that you, God, have sent me, Jesus. Make them one so that the world may believe. So I want us to understand, we talked about last week, our obligation as Jesus followers to be disciple makers, to go and establish God's kingdom here on the earth. That is our mission. And sometimes getting along in the midst of these walls and with other believers that gather uh, under the banner of the name of other churches, which are beautiful and holy and good things. 
Sometimes we divorce those two things. We say those are, those are separate issues, the unity that goes on in here and, and the mission that we're supposed to engage with. What, what Jesus is saying is that our unity is inherently missiological, meaning our unity is directly connected to how we go out and establish God's kingdom on the earth. Make them one as uh, you, uh, me and you, Jesus and the Father, are one. So that the world may believe you have sent me. Oneness, unity, okay? But this isn't just like, this is a random text out of Scripture. This is found a, a lot of places throughout Scripture. Jesus, or, uh, Paul, excuse me, talking to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, is talking about this body, like what this is, what, what the church is. And he says, chapter 12, starting verse 4, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same fun- function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. So he recognizes here that there is uniqueness. The expectation is not uniformity. That we have to uh, come into this space with our varying backgrounds and preferences and opinions and experiences. And we all have to be molded and shaped to where we talk the same and we dress the same and we, uh, and we think the same. I think there's some element of that where it's like, yes, we're being formed to the image of Jesus. But we all get to bring the unique components of how God has made us and wired us, and we get to come into this space, and we get to belong to one body. We get to belong to one body. It's your and my and our unique contribution to this gathering that makes us whole. It is your unique giftings and personality and wiring that you bring to the table of this gathering that makes us whole the whole, that makes us the one. That means that every single person in this room, every single person downstairs, every single person that gathers or associates with the banner of Connection Church is an essential part of what makes us whole. Now, There are not in the world, as we look out and see, there are not strong and natural affinities for one another that go beyond uh, preferences or experiences. There's a lot of things you can get plugged into that uh, the, the reason you gather with that group of people is one particular thing, and, and if that falls apart, then you have nothing else. Uh, and so, uh, but what, what, what Paul is saying here, and I think what Jesus is saying in his prayer for unity, is that Jesus is the glue that binds us together, so there is nothing that can tear us apart. But where does this come from? Like, this isn't something you see in the world around us, and I think it comes from God's nature, like who he is, who he claimed himself to be. There's a, there's a prayer found in Deuteronomy uh, that's known as the Shema. And the Shema was something that the people of Israel would have said every morning, every evening, uh, to remind themselves of who God is and how God wants to interact with his people. 
And, and what it says is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And it's through the recitation of this that uh, the people of Israel were formed and shaped to understand this is who God is and therefore this is then how we should act. But hear with me what is right at the beginning of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, listen, take heed, get ready to do what this is talking about. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So baked into the very nature and character of who God is, is oneness. That there is no division. That there are, we we believe in a doctrine called the Trinity, meaning that there's like uh, three parts, uh, three essences of one, one whole. That there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And even inside the mystery of the triune God, uh, central uh, of having these three parts, central to that is there is no division. There is wholeness. There is wholeness. Think about this. When, when sin entered the world, sin was a broken, uh, broken order of how God ordered the world. And that's where the unwholeness and the, the disordered priorities and all of this stuff entered into the world. And it's contrary to God's nature because brokenness, there's broken relationships, there's broken, uh, there's broken creation that we see around us. The, the world is broken because they're dis- we are disobeying God, but God is one. There's a wholeness that comes with the nature of God. In the Godhead, there exists a perfect unity, symmetry, relationship. And there's a particular beauty inside of this wholeness. I was going to ask this, but I think enough of you would get it right at this point. Largest living organism in the world. There you go, Carl. (laughs) Uh, Largest living organism in the world is a stand of trees in Utah. Uh, Matt, do we have that first uh, called uh, Pando? Okay. Pando is a stand of aspen trees as roughly, uh, I've seen two different numbers, but they're not far from each other, so it doesn't make a huge difference. Between 106 and 108, 106 and 108 acres of aspen trees. Now, what's unique about these aspen trees is that they are uh, uh, biologically one tree. They have a shared root system, uh, meaning there are like nutrients flying back and forth. There's care flying back and forth when uh, something happens on one side and there's an infestation of something. Uh, Nutrients and stuff are getting, because they have the shared root system, getting shipped to the other side, and they are one. It looks like a bunch of individuals. If you just look out and you cut down a tree, all you can see is that tree above the surface of the ground. But inside of this, there's this connected root system where they're all intertangled and intertwined together. And this is one of the best images that I've seen of what it means to belong to the church, what it means to exist in this space. Because we are called keep attentive to God. We're called to be transformed uh, more and more to the image of Christ. And if God is one, if there is unity in who God is, that means our, uh, our gathering, this body, 
needs to be constantly transformed more and more and more and more and more to represent God's unity, God's wholeness, meaning there is no division inside of us. So we're not arguing this morning on whether or not we're connected because Scripture is clear that we ought to be and that we are What we're worried about this morning is how we interact with one another inside of this connected stand of trees, how how we care for one another and love one one another inside of this uh, stand of trees because it affects the whole. There's no individuals. When you you, uh, join uh, and say, yes, I am believing in the gospel of Jesus, I'm believing in the good news of God's kingdom for the salvation of my life, for the forgiveness of sins, you don't get to then say, okay, that's wonderful. Do you also want to be a part of the church? When you say, I'm trusting in, the forg- in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you also, by nature of the work of God, enter into this covenant community that is connected to one Another. <clears throat> so we are not able to say, it is unbiblical for you to say, this, this is where, like, I'm going to let them do their own thing, that other person in the church. Because uh, that's their life, and I'm going to let them worry about it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them go about their business. That's not how this works. That's a very, very, very uh, Anglo, white American thing to say. It's not, it's not scripture. It might be a preference, but it's not scripture. What Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, is that when we enter into the body, we become connected to one another. But that doesn't mean we always do. There's fractures that happen. There's divisions that happen. Uh, and, and that means when it affects the people that there's division, disunity in, it doesn't just affect those people. It affects the whole. It affects all of us. But this is why it matters, because we're doing our best here to honor God, uh, to represent God for a dying and broken world, to see we are a body, we are connected, there is a unity that exists here that we have to work towards. Jesus says, just right before the, the high priestly prayer in John 13, he says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Once again, just kind of like we heard in John 17, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus gives a new command here. Uh, and, and the command is to love one another. And not these necessarily just like starting and stopping at these feelings of affection and affinity. Because that's, that's pretty easy to do. The, the love that you have for a newborn baby when they're just like cuddly and sweet and yeah, they might cry, but it's like it's a, it's a sweet thing. That's, that's, a, that's a fairly easy love. 
begins to become harder as they grow and they become more disobedient and want to push against you. You have to actually like act out the love in those moments. So what, what Jesus is talking about here is this love that's an action that's being lived out through our everyday lives. Love one another. And note this. Note this, okay? Because this is important for us moving forward. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now, definitionally, which I don't know if that's a word <clears throat> now that I say it. Uh, but by definition, sin is being disconnected from God. Okay, uh, A lot of us like to classify sin as the things that we do, uh, but I think a better definition is sin is a state of being and being disconnected from God. And sometimes there are ways that we do things that disconnect us from God and that are disobedient to God. But I think more accurately, uh, it, is, it is the state of being disconnected is, is living in sin, and uh, it's the doing things that sometimes causes us to get there. Uh, but Jesus says here very clearly, a new command. I give you. And for those of us keeping track at home, uh, disobedience to Jesus is a sin. For disobeying God, that's a definition of committing a sin. Which means when we disobey the sin, uh, or when we disobey the command of Jesus to love one another, we are actively living in sin. Meaning when we uh, engage in things that, that fracture this community, this people of God. We are not just doing something that's harmful to this community. We are sinning. We are sinning. Greg Holder, uh, pastor in St. Louis, says anytime and in any way that we fracture the oneness that God has created here, we are going against God's plan and going against God's plan is sinning. So when we gossip Talk about others behind their back. It's a sin that fractures the wholeness of God's creation. When we get into a disagreement with someone, okay, I've used Jeff a lot lately. We don't disagree about much. When, when Jeff and I get into a disagreement, I don't think the sin starts there. I think the sin starts when uh, Jeff's like, hey, I'm ready to reconcile. And I go, no, you, we've burnt that bridge. I refuse to come to the table for healing and reconciliation. That is sin. When we talk behind each other's backs, that fractures wholeness. That is sin. One that I talked about last time we went through this, and it's a constant battle for me in my, in my pride and trying to wrestle that down and asking God for more humility. When we look at other churches and what they're doing as Jesus-following people and we judge them and assume that we're better, that fractures the wholeness, and that is a sin. Anytime. We do anything that puts a wedge between us and another follower of Jesus. That is a sin. What did Jesus say? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <clears throat> so our metric for success for what takes place in this space is how well we are loving one another and how well we are living in unity. 
Do we strive for unity and wholeness inside of this camp, or do we ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist or that it doesn't matter? Do we all just show up and there's an elephant standing in the corner every time we get together and and we go, we probably ought to talk about these things or those things, uh, but we're just going to press on because ignoring it is much, much easier, or do we get down to the root of the issue and allow God's spirit to enter into the broken situations and heal them? I think one of the reasons we don't come to the table uh, to work through the, the areas of disagreement and work through issues of unity is because we have a bad interpretation and a bad understanding of what the gospel does. The gospel takes broken, dead, and sinful things and restores them and brings them back to life. And to, so to say, there is a person that I have a beef with and there's a person that we, we, we're not getting along inside of God's community, and I don't want to come to the table, assumes that there is not a God who loves us, who raised uh, Christ from the dead, and that same spirit living in us is raising us back to life continually, and it assumes that, that, that God's power is not capable of taking care of that situation in our lives. So then... If unity and wholeness are of supreme importance to God followers, to us, and uh, if conflict breaks unity, then the the million-dollar question becomes, well, then how do we handle conflict? How do we handle conflict? (coughs) Thankfully, Jesus, this is not a gray area for Jesus. He makes it uh, super clear. So if you can, turn over to Matthew 18. We're going to park there the rest of our time together. (coughs) Jesus gives us a roadmap for how to deal with the sin of disunity and uh, how to deal with the sin uh, of uh, brokenness inside of relationships inside of the church. And Amanda and I were talking this morning about how completely and utterly countercultural these ideas are how needed they are for a broken and divisive world that we find ourselves living in today. Okay, Matthew 18, this is Jesus' playbook for conflict. Start in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So, <clears throat> Jesus gives uh, a, a playbook here, like I said, for how to handle conflict. And this is our playbook here at Connection Church. Uh, if you come ask me and you go, hey, I've got this spat between this person and this other person, this is what I'm going to walk you through. And so uh, my goal in this, like I said, is common language and, and common practices. So how do we handle conflict here at Connection? We're going to walk through uh, a sentence. And the first thing um, is you, Okay. How do we handle conflict uh, is you. Uh, Let me see the whole thing so it makes sense contextually if you've never heard it, okay? You go to the person in private to discuss the problem for the purpose of reconciliation, okay? You go 
to the person in private to discuss the problem for the purpose of reconciliation. Let's walk through those together. Okay, first one, you. Back on the back table today also. There's one of these. Stick it in your Bible. Stick it on your fridge. Um, uh, uh, use this as a, a toolbox, as a resource for you to, to remind you. Okay, <clears throat> First one, you. Meaning, you. When someone, uh, if a brother or sister sins against you, meaning the ownership is on the person who feels like they were wronged. Okay? If uh, Larissa and I are in the lobby and we're hanging out and, she's, and I say a joke uh, that is, uh, I can't imagine what I would say, but I say a joke that's like, offends Larissa. I, again, don't know what that would be, uh, but she goes, that, she leaves, she goes home, she eats a lunch, she plays with the dogs and she's is eating at her. Uh, the responsibility to engage in the conversation is on Larissa in that, in that, in that situation, Okay. It's on the person that's been wrong to bring it to the table and go, listen, when you did this, uh, this really this has hurt my feelings. This did not feel good for you to do. And it's on the person who was wronged to begin the conversation. You. Meaning, not let me talk. Uh, Larissa's going to go talk to Amanda so that Amanda can maybe talk to me. Or Larissa's going to go talk to Sam so that maybe Sam can talk to me. Uh, it means Larissa, the, the person. Okay, We're not... We're not letting this spread like wildfire because that doesn't solve the issue. And in fact, that then just propagates more and more disunity and, uh, and a lack of wholeness. Okay, so you. Now the second thing is go. You go. Meaning, we're not just going to sit on our hands. We're not just going to go, hey, man, man. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to address this. I don't know if I want to have these hard conversations. I don't know if I want... No, no, Jesus is saying, if disunity has entered into the body, our obligation is to solve the disunity, to work towards godly solutions. So we're going. We're not just withholding and letting it bottle up and then uh, offense after offense after offense piles on and then eventually you say, I just don't even want to be a part of this anymore. You're going. Here's what going does. Going maybe cuts the disunity off with you and that person so that uh, they might not unknowingly go to the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person. You might be doing a service to the kingdom of God and his church by having that conversation with that person that might be uncomfortable, that, that might be uh, difficult, but you might be uh, saving uh, dozens of people from, from heartache and sin in disunity by having that hard conversation. So you go, <clears throat> where are we going? To the person. You go to the person. Uh, meaning, I talked about this at the beginning a little bit, uh, if uh, I am really upset by something that uh, Amanda does, I'm not going and, and making my stops to build support, Okay. This is not about me going and talking to Ray and going, oh, can you believe Amanda? Can you believe that 
she said that. And then Ray's like, yeah, I can't believe that either. And then Ray talks to Amy, and they, they get fired. The Hughes are completely fired up at Amanda. And then I go, okay, I got them. And then I'm going to jump back a couple rows, and I'm going to go to the Langs. I'm going to go, can you believe what Amanda did? And so now I've got two families on my side. And then the Langs, because we're at this point operating out of complete disunity, the Langs are going to hop over to the Johnsons and be like, can, do you hear about Amanda? Can you believe what she did? And the Johnsons are going to go, Dad, wow, that is rough. I can't believe she did that. And now I've got three people on my team contributing to disunity and unwholeness. That's completely solved when I go to the person. Okay? Now, here's what it means. We need to make a firm commitment as a church. When someone comes to me and and begins to have a conversation about disunity and brokenness between them and another person, it is my obligation to go, we're going to pause. Have you talked to that person? Have you talked to that person that there's that brokenness with? And if they say no, you then have an obligation, and here's what I'm committed to do, okay? If they say, no, I haven't talked to them yet, you go, listen, unity matters a lot to God. And because it matters to God, it matters to me. And so I really want you, we're, gonna, we're not going to have any more of this conversation. I want you to go talk to that person. And I want you to go uh, begin to work towards reconciliation with that person. And in fact, this matters so much to me. I'm going to follow up with that person in a couple of days and go, hey, have you talked to uh, so-and-so? And if they say no, I'm going to say, well, you, you really need to go have a conversation with them. And you might go, well, Jordan, that's getting none into your business. We already talked about it. We're all connected. We, all, we, we, we are not in isolation, okay? We don't live as individual units of God's grace. We live in God's kingdom under the banner of God's love. In God's community, we have an obligation to fight for unity. This matters to God, so it ought to matter to us. So you go to the person in private. These are not conversations that are happening on Facebook posts, okay? These are not probably conversations that are going to happen in our lobby after church today. These are conversations that you say, do you want to grab coffee sometime this week? Can we, can we just chat about something? Uh, these are conversations that happen over a table together, over a meal, okay? These are conversations because, again, we're not trying to brush anything under the rug, but we're trying to preserve community. And when someone in a public setting gets called out, what backs against the wall and they're just trying to figure out, no, you're going in private. It's just you and that person, like Jesus says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That's, where, that's your starting place. You go to the person in private. What are you discussing? You're discussing the problem. What is the issue at hand? Now, if you're just starting living under this, uh, this game plan for conflict, it might be really, really easy to uh, go, now's my chance to uh, finally drudge up all this stuff. Uh, Jeff has been enduring my preaching for years, and I've been call- using him as an example for months it's what happens when you sit in the front row. I just, you're the first person I see. And he goes, now's my chance to go talk to him about these years' worth of stuff that drives me nuts. There's probably a time and a place to get there. But when you're sitting down, we're accomplishing one thing at a time. 
We're not, this is not an opportunity to just drudge up the past and go, you did this wrong in 2020, you did this wrong in October of 21, you did this wrong in December of 21, and now is my chance to air my grievances. No, we're just talking about the one issue at hand. And Lord willing, we're going to see gospel fruit propagated from that conversation. Maybe that'll open the doorway to further conversations. But we're talking about to discussing the problem. But here's why it's important uh, that we discuss the problem, and here's why it's important and then we have the last part, for the purpose of reconciliation. Who have I not picked on yet? I don't, I feel like, (laughs) Carl. (laughs) When Carl uh, sits down with me and goes, Jordan, listen, that when you said this to me, that, that really, it, it bothered me and it hurt me because of maybe you didn't understand this from my background and this from my childhood and it just drudged some stuff up that was not good. And, and probably what's going to happen is, Carl, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. You know how much of our wrongdoings and our disunity that exists inside the church is because of either misunderstandings or people that just are, are a little bit clueless? Probably what you're gonna happen, what's going to happen when you have these conversations with people is, uh, is people going, I had no idea. We please forgive me. Uh, but if, if Carl is coming to the table and going, Jordan, listen, uh, I'm ready to duke it out and I'm ready to burn this bridge and this is my last match on this relationship before I burn the bridge. There is, God is not honored through that. that. That does nothing but divide further instead of working towards wholeness and unity like we're trying to. So the reason, it might take you a couple days to get there, but we ought to be doing this quickly. The reason we need to be going and having these conversations of unity are so that we can be reconciled and brought back into right relationship with one another. So that we can live in unity and live in wholeness. So what are we going to do? You, when you're wronged, are going to go. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to the person that wronged you. You're going to do it in private. You're going to discuss the problem. You're going to stay on task. And you're going to do it with a heart bent towards reconciliation. Now, some of your objections at this point might be going, yeah, Jordan, but what if they don't respond well? What if they, they don't hear it as wanting to reconcile? What if it just drudges up further disunity? Well, Jesus gives us uh, what we should do then. If they will not listen, take one or two others along. That's, you get to then introduce more of the godly community and have the conversation then. And then if that doesn't happen, uh, you get to introduce it to the church. And, and probably at that point, how I define what Jesus is getting at here with church is uh, maybe you move towards the elders and, and some church leadership. We're probably not going to bring uh, church discipline issues I'm probably not going to talk about spats that we have each other uh, from this pulpit. Um, but maybe you bring the elders in at that point. And then he gives us a playbook for what we ought to do. And then if they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Again, this was mind-boggling for me the first time I, I kind of grabbed hold of this. Uh, on first reading... You probably go, oh, we get to then just like cast them out of our midst and we get to be done with them and we get to, um, we get to say, peace be with you and never want to see you again. Again, that's not what Jesus did. How did Jesus treat tax collectors and pagans and sinners? 
He ate dinner with them. He went over to their houses. He showed them love and grace. And you might have to re- redraw some relational boundaries to go, listen, this is, this is going to be something we're not going to need. We can't be around each other as much. Or um, maybe it's best for, for where we're at where you just go find another gathering of believers to be a part of for this next season. But we never wash our hands of people just simply because of disunity. But because as long as they're claiming the lordship of Jesus and saying, I want to surrender my life to that, we are connected to one another and and actively working towards disunity is a sin. God is one. There's a wholeness that comes in the character of God and, and to not live as though God is one is to live in sin and to not live as though God has connected all of us as one is to live in sin. So Jesus gives us a roadmap on how to handle conflict, and it involves us going, having the conversations that need to be had so that we can live in wholeness and unity. So here's the commitment I need us to make today. One, I need us to make a commitment of of a willingness to do that, that when we are wronged, we're not going to bury it, we're not going to forget about it, we're going to go, we're going to have the conversations that we need to have. I remember the first time we went through this, there was a little bit of a joke going around that everyone was scared to ask each other to just casual coffees uh, because we assumed that there was always something wrong. Uh, And I don't want that to be the, the, the aura that I've cast over us today, but there's probably some conversations that need to take place. There's probably some conversations of wholeness and reconciliation that need to happen. And it might be hard, but God uh, will be so honored and glorified when those conversations happen. So we need to commit to doing this ourselves, and then we also need to commit as God's people, people that gather under the banner of connection because we're committing to this is how we handle conflicts. This means um, we're, we're putting a real hard stop on gossip, putting a real hard stop on talking about problems with people who are not a part of the solution. That when someone comes to me and goes, I just can't believe so-and-so, I go, did you talk to him? You, You need to go talk to him. This matters to God, and so it matters to me. So here's what I want us to do. Church family, connection. Uh... If you're willing, uh, we don't have a song after this. We're, we're wrapping up our time together here. Here's, here's how I want to close out our time. I want to close out our time praying for this. Um, and I could very easily pray from the pulpit and pray over us, and I think God would be uh, honored through that. Uh, but if you're willing, uh, I'd love us to close out our time in some corporate prayer and some smaller gatherings around the room. And here's what I want us to pray for. I want us to pray for God to establish this type of unity in our hearts. That he'll forgive us for the time. I know he will. We'll ask forgiveness for the times where we've missed the mark on this. And that we will uh, strive towards, towards unity in the future. And that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will establish this in our hearts and in our lives. And so, uh, if you're comfortable, no obligation, but if you're comfortable, uh, find a few people around you. Uh, you can let, or I mean, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you've got a prayer life, so I'm not going to structure the prayer time too much. Uh, but spend a few moments just praying towards this end. Maybe it's a few of you want to pray. Maybe it's one of you wants to pray for your whole group. I don't care how you do it. Uh, but pray towards this end, and then when you're done, 
you are dismissed to go in the grace of Jesus and the love of the Father and the comfort of the Spirit. And that's how we're going to close out our time together. So I'm going to pray for us now. We're going to get in groups if you're comfortable. Uh, we're going to pray towards this end, and then you're dismissed to go. So let me, let me pray first, and then you can hop into groups. Jesus, uh, thank you for this reality. Thank you that you love us even when we miss the mark on this. So Lord, I pray that you will establish this in our hearts, that we will be a unified people under the banner of your death and burial and resurrection. And that ultimately, as we strive towards unity, it will be our witness to a world around us. It's completely countercultural that how we love one another, how we forgive one another, how we reconcile with one another, and we'll be able to just praise your name and people will see your goodness because of how we treat one another. So the rest of this prayer time is yours. Do this among us, Lord. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.